Hello, my name is Chadis Leo. Welcome back to Indigenous Voices of Vancouver Island Season 2. A podcast series made possible by 4VI, as well as the many Indigenous tourism businesses that have contributed their insights and time. I would like to start off by expressing my deep appreciation to the Kokakwak, Nuchanalt, and Coast Salish peoples who have stewarded these lands and waters. I am proud to be a part of this great heritage and to be known as someone who belongs to this area of the world. To recap, last episode, we heard from three very dynamic women about how Indigenous culture and values are being woven into commercial enterprises and used to foster the next generation of Indigenous entrepreneurs. Today, we shift slightly into the examination of tradition and specifically how it plays a part in the lives of two communities and how they are making this part of the tourist experience. Oxford Dictionary defines tradition as the transmission of customs or beliefs from generation to generation. A long-established custom or belief that has been passed on from one generation to another. Or an artistic or literary method or style established by an artist, writer, or movement and subsequently followed by others. Our guests in this episode describe their guiding principles as just that the sharing of knowledge between generations and the continuation of a belief system or systems that have guided their people for more generations than we can count. Let's head now to the Alberni Valley, a place where for thousands of years, their people have instilled the importance of community and tradition. My name is Jolene Dick. I come from Hoopacheset First Nation in the Alberni Valley. I also have ancestral roots in Sashat First Nation and other New Channels communities here on the west coast of Vancouver Island. Now, Jolene knows a thing or two about the importance of tourism. She's worked as an elected councillor of the Hoopacheset First Nation, the tourism development manager at Tourism Vancouver Island, and she's now the chief executive officer at the Alberni Chamber of Commerce, the voice of business for the entire region. And what a region it is, from ancient cedars to stunning lakes. And it's also the only place in BC to host all four BC games, winter, summer, seniors, and athletes with disabilities. So I had to ask Jolene how, in her current role, she unites culture and tradition to support the development of tourism within the nation. Our community, what it means to us in tourism, it's a way of educating the public of who we are and how we're connected to the land. When you come into the Alberni Valley, there are two welcome figures that are at the bottom of Johnson and they are significant in the sense that the, the male figure, uh, Nucci, is welcoming guests through Highway 4 from the land access to the Alberni Valley. And the Hakum, the princess, is welcoming guests from the river and through the, the waterway. And so the ocean has been our, our highway, and that's one way of connecting tradition to tourism is the welcome figures that were carved by community members here in the Alberni Valley. And it's just significant that we are are always welcoming people. I asked Jolene to share from her perspective what the intersection of culture, entrepreneurship and tourism was. 
I think the way I think about entrepreneurship and tourism and, and connecting it in community, we have so many people that create just objects, whether they're for trading or for sale. It's really interesting. So I myself make beaded jewelry and I think that, you know, that's kind of, you know, contributing to what's available to create that inventory of authentic artifacts, arts and culture that people can can collect in their travels rather than something that's made from overseas, which we know has been a common issue for decades. So when I think about that in the entrepreneurship, there's people that are, are very talented weavers, beaters, harvesters, all of these types of things are the old way of trading and interacting and having commerce on these lands. And so there's always kind of been that entrepreneurship, but because of colonization and the way we change our way and how we interact with each other, you know, it's kind of evolving on the purpose on why that was made. Any headband or jewelry or regalias were made for a purpose to mark significance in ceremonies. And now it's that shift of what's appropriate to create so that someone can buy something authentic that's, you know, has meaning, is made by someone that has a connection and put a lot of thought, heart and mind into what they created. I also had to ask, why now? What accounts for the interest in Indigenous cultures now? I think people are really curious. They've always been curious. When I first got my role here, at this visitor information center, people were always asking about the First Nations that lived in the area. You know, can we go see their houses? Thinking that they were in different types of houses than the average person that, that lives here. I think there's some leeway that we can give people that are very uninformed. I don't think it's intentional ignorance where people think that perhaps people in the Alberni Valley live in teepees or mud houses. And so that was 16 years ago for me. I have seen a shift and a change. People have always been curious in learning about people that have lived here. We have such a rich cultural history that has been hidden and people have been curious and we're grappling with that shift in how do we want to share our narrative? I think we still have to be patient on nations wanting to develop that capacity to deliver and expand tourism experiences. But I think it's really great that we do have those individual entrepreneurs that are are carving their path in offering perhaps a fishing charter or opening a gallery or creating something. I think we're still in the early stages of indigenous tourism development in the Alberni Valley, but demand is there. And I can't wait to see what the next 10, 20, 30 years look like for sharing Neutronos culture here. Jolene discussed the resilience of the people who live in the Alberni region. I think the people that have lived on these lands have always been resilient. We live in a rainforest. We got quite the weather sometimes. The whole ecology of our lands, the land provides so much sustenance to the people that have lived here from the salmon streams to the shelter from the forest and building shelter out of products of the forest. The land provides a lot and people have taken care of it for generations. And I think that's part of the resilience is is toughing it out, using what you have, relying on uh, the resources that are, are being available, but also taking care of those resources so that they remain available for the future. So when I think of that and the climate 
we live in, I just think of the, the toughness of people persevering through all the different activities that have happened on these lands for the past, since millennia, but definitely over the past 200 years where there has been contact um, and pre-colonization. Future developments were also on Jolene's mind, and we were happy to hear about, in her words, some really cool projects. We used to have a places of interest map on the outside of our building here. Uh, so we are the focal point when you arrive to Port Alberni. We're right at the, the junction where you decide you're going to Southport or Northport. We want to be able to provide accurate and relevant information to visitors. And so we want to make a really meaningful places of interest map that incorporates Indigenous language, Indigenous phrases, and shows places where you can interact with the history and culture of both Hupuchesa and Sashaw First Nations and the Barclay Sound region. You know, we share a language and a similar dialect and we share a rich cultural history and we want to be able to authentically and meaningfully present that there are Indigenous people that live here and this is where you can interact and touch with the, the culture, whether it's the, the welcome figures or the Wolf Tower at Harbor Key or the petroglyphs at Sprout Lake Provincial Park or um, an Indigenous-owned business. We want to be able to connect visitors with the culture and experience it themselves. The future is informed by the past, and as much as today is infused with traditions, Jolene recognizes that things need to be recovered, and recovery may include improving techniques and practices. But she believes strongly in inviting people in to learn the traditions and that tourism and making sustainable experiences is the path to fostering understanding. Yeah, our tradition and culture is just so important. When we go through all the seasons throughout the year, there's just things that are muscle memory that you do. You know, in March when the herring rows spawn um, and you harvest siechmu, like that is a tradition. Um, but it's also been compromised as a resource. And so you have to work on replenishing that and waiting for more to come back. But it's, you know, a beautiful tradition that has been carried on. And then you kind of modernize that, that harvesting practice. And so when the first salmon comes up to Ma'as, which is also known as Somas River, you know, there's a ceremony, there's a miat ceremony. And there are traditions that our fisher people do when you get your first catch. You make sure that you give that away. It's just the right thing to do. That's what's always been done and you're obligated to do it so that you can have a good fishing season. But there's ways to tie that tradition and culture. In, in the past, we had a, an amazing miot um, ceremony, which means salmon, um, and we invited the public to come and witness and be a part of that. And so that's where you can tie tradition and culture to tourism by you know, presenting an experience of the first salmon have arrived in our ecosystem and this is our tradition and we want to share that with you. And so I think there's lots of doors that we can open. This is a significant piece that is traditional for us. And now we want to open that door and share it with you. But the challenge in moving forward with the future is the capacity of First Nations to deliver events. When we think of events and festivals, 
we know how many people and volunteers and in-kind and financial contributions need to go to sustain community events and festivals. To do that for, you know, your traditions and ceremonies, you, you have to come up with an event plan and you have to develop the resources to deliver consistent, authentic experience. But maybe the future is you only do that every four years and we can align that with our, our cycles and the meaning of those types of things. So timing it so that you could do it every couple of years could be more sustainable than trying to hit that mark every year. So it's depending on how much you can plan and how much uh, support you can develop to be able to develop consistent experiences for people. Encouraging thoughts and words from Jolene Dick. From Jolene, we move on to a territorial chief and a leader helping to guide the future by holding true to the past. My name is Clark O'Gala. I come from the house of Seesaw, and I'm one of the hereditary chiefs for the Mojit Nation, and I'm on a council of chiefs for the Mojit Muchlet First Nation. And my English name is Jerry Jack. I always forget about that part, um, but I'm calling to you from our reserve in uh, Muchlet territory called Sahana, uh, just outside of Gold River by three kilometers. I've had this title for my dad since the year 2000. He had a two-day ceremony for me to hand his chieftainship to me back in 2000. So it's uh, been quite a responsibility. Chief Jerry Jack is the embodiment of the word tradition. He is continuing his father's work by supporting and leading his community, and I really wanted to speak to him about what this meant to him in part because he has a unique perspective with over 40 years experience working on First Nations issues, including justice, policing, governance, fisheries, and environmental management. And in part because he has served 21 years with the RCMP, he has had a foot in both worlds, but never lost sight of the importance of his heritage. I've said it a lot of times when I speak is that where we come from, where I come from, we call it ground zero of contact because in 1778, Captain Cook was the first white man to land in British Columbia and he landed in my village. And he was met by two head chiefs, McQuinn and Calicum, and I'm a direct descendant of Chief Calicum and that's where I get my chieftainship today. And for me, that's important for, um, you mentioned tourists, you know, they, they need to know our governance system and what our governance system means to us. First thing that comes to mind is I was watching my dad on a video explaining chieftainship in the territories we live in. You know, we have Hahohli in our language. It's Hahohli is the territory that you're responsible for. And when Captain Cook landed in Friendly Cove, he landed on a beach that belongs to me and my family. And our job was to feed everybody that stepped foot on that beach before they went about their business. I can't do that today because I'm poor. You know, a long time ago before contact, we were a rich family because we had access to all the resources, all the fish and deer and elk and otters and and whatever we traded with, with other nations. And uh, so I, you know, I really can't do that anymore, but but I think it's important for for tourists to know uh, where they are, whose territory they're in, and, you know, to acknowledge where they are because people today, they move around and they don't acknowledge that they're in somebody else's 
territory. And, uh, you know, we try, uh, like, uh, a few days ago, we welcomed a film crew. Yeah, with our with our high school students doing the singing, I did the official welcome on behalf of the hereditary chiefs and the young students uh, sang some welcome songs and victory songs that they were taught. And for them, it was important because they got to know who we are as a people. And this is how we respect somebody that comes to our territory. If you show respect, you know, we'll we'll certainly give it to you. It was clear in our discussion that having people visiting was important to the Maochat Nation, not only to share the pride in their lands and their history, but also as an economic driver to the area. So I asked about development on the reserve and in the area and what tourists could expect. We want to put a welcome house there too. And the welcome house will have history of the territory where they where they are and the history of out at Friendly Cove the history of Gold River and at Amonkis, because Amonkis is where the reserve is right now, where I'm talking about, where we want to build this welcome house. And we'll have uh, traditional foods, traditional uh, artwork by locals for sale there, maybe by others as well from around the area. And then our hotel, um, we've asked our carver from the Williams family, his name is Sanford Williams, and he's uh, currently uh, making two 20-foot totem poles that are going to be erected. We have a video out. It's called MMFN 101. It explains our history right from Captain Cook to today. You know, the, the effects of residential school, the effects of being forced to move from Friendly Cove to Gold River or wherever people move to after, after that. Resiliency is a trait attributed to many Indigenous nations, and the word certainly applies to Chief Jerry Jack and the Mauchat Nation. I asked if he could identify for us what contributed to their ability to move forward and pass the trauma they had experienced. We're fortunate uh, where we come from with that. We never lost all of our songs and our dances. You know, uh, we do have social songs that can be done at any time, welcome songs and dances, you know, not our real sacred stuff. They'll come out at a different time, but we but we do have songs and dances that, you know, we do for various groups as they come in. If they're coming in as a group and they request, you know, a formal welcome, you know, we'll, we'll do that with our, especially with our youth, because uh, they're the ones that are going to take over from us which is really important that they learn how our people lived a long time ago. You know, I know we'll never go back to exactly the way we used to be because of our laws are really strict. You know, we're talking about culture. It, it, culture isn't just when you pick up a drum or you put a shawl on or you put a mask and dance. It, it's your everyday life. I was moved by his commitment to not just celebrating tradition, but rather living it. I asked him to describe in his own words what he thought the pull and the attraction of the area would be for people coming from afar. The pull is just uh, experiencing the uh, territory we live in because it's so beautiful. You know, I, I've been all I've been a few places in the world, and uh, I think a, a lot of tourists are attracted to uh, 
our culture and when they can go in and, and witness a feast if it's going on. Because everybody's always welcome to, to come in and, and watch, you know, and, and learn. And I think that's what people want to come here to see because they read it on paper. They read it online. But to actually be here and to witness what they see and how our people live and uh, listen to our stories about, you know, we, we have people that go on the Uchuk and just talk about our history. You know, to the tourists that go out there all summer long, and I, you know, that's a that's really important uh, aspect to the tourism part is because you know they're they're going out there, but they're also learning on the way there and on the way back a little bit about our history. In speaking with Chief Jerry Jack, I came to learn of his deep dedication to his role as a keeper of the culture. And those reel-to-reels, they have our elders from the 50s and 60s talking about our history. My dad always talked about our history with, with other people, and I'm getting it uh, transcribed so I can pass that information on to my son and my grandson, and not only them, uh, who's ever uh, family they're talking about, because there's a lot of information there about us. Every time I fly somewhere, I take my laptop and instead of watching movies, I listen to my dad talk and I over and over about our history, about everything like that. It's just amazing the things that I'm learning listening to my dad. Even though I've listened to it once before, you know, it's like reading a book. You can read it 10 times over and every time you read it, you'll pick up something that you didn't the time before. And that's what I'm doing is I I listen to it, even though they're an hour and a half long each tape. I'm I'm probably on my third time going over them again. One of my favorite parts of these discussions has been to ask people what makes them proud in terms of their culture or where their nation is today. One of the proudest things is watching our young people, our kids in elementary school, our kids in preschool, our kids in high school, being able to learn um, in the curriculum today that there was history here and, and we're allowed to teach them our language and they're allowed to sing our songs and practice our dances in the, in the school system. I never had that when I was growing up. The interview with Chief Jerry Jack was probably an hour long, but it seemed like mere minutes because in his presence, you become truly engaged in his mission to keep tradition and the cultures of his nation alive. I asked him if he had any parting words. It was gratitude for being able to have a voice. Yeah, on behalf of myself, Klakogela and and the Muachit Muchlet people from Gold River, you know, in the Nootka Sound, I want to thank you for allowing me to be on this program and to, you know, talk a little bit about my history because history is really important to me. Culture is really important to me. And I always look forward to sharing a little bit that I know. I think I listened to my dad once or twice when I was growing up. <laughs> I caught on to some of the things that he was trying to teach me and my grandparents and my aunts and uncles. And uh, it's just an honor to be able to to share a little bit with you and and your audience. And I hope I've helped a little bit. Thank you. You did, Chief Jerry Jack. And we are grateful that you took the time to share. As an Indigenous person, 
These conversations about the way forward with a mind to preserving traditions and celebrating culture are encouraging and exciting. That brings us to the end of this episode. On our next episode, we will explore food sovereignty and speak with two First Nations people who are locally grounded with an eye for the global market. I'm Janice Leo. Thank you for joining us. And in the language of my people, I will sign off with emot, which means good or thank you. <laughs>